Welcome back to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. Birds are a natural part of our environment, so much so that you may not even think about what they do for us and the environment. Many birds eat insects and in doing so save our plants from being overwhelmed by bugs and the diseases they can carry. Bigger birds also eat rodents and so help control rodent populations. Some smaller birds are pollinators, helping plants to make fruit. And, of course, birds are lovely to look at and have some pretty amazing songs. Our focus in this program is birds, and my guest, Rufus Stevens, is the co-author of a book about attracting birds to your garden or field. First, I'd like to welcome you to Mothering Earth. Um, your title is District Leader for the Edwards Plateau Wildlife District in Texas Parks and Wildlife. But uh, tell me, what is it that you do? Well, so as a district leader, um, I work with the biologists in the Edwards Plateau. There, there are about 12 biologists in the Edwards Plateau, and I help them um, assist private landowners in management on private, in primarily in private lands. And uh, so I, I, while I consider myself, and I still am a wildlife biologist, I consider myself really... Uh, uh, to help, I basically help my staff do good work on the ground. So that's, I make sure that they have the money and the things, you know, the equipment to do, to work with private landowners for wildlife. Then when I came to Parks and Wildlife, I ended up working as an urban wildlife biologist. And a lot of working as an urban wildlife biologist is uh, working with private landowners that, you know, homeowners that are interested in managing their yards for, as habitats. And that's really primarily around birds, especially hummingbirds, but all kinds of birds. So it's been, you know, it's been a thread through my entire career. And now, actually, and so as a, as a, as a district biologist and now in the position I'm in now, working with lots of private landowners on wildlife tax valuation. And uh, that's something that um, most landowners are uh, going to, especially on smaller acres, are going to manage for uh, birds as a part of their wildlife tax valuation. Okay. Explain yeah. wildlife tax valuation. <laughs> what is so that? It, the, the common vernacular for it is actually is it ag exemption. They'll say an ag exemption, and it's not ag exempt. It's actually a special valuation. And a version of ag is a wildlife valuation. And so if someone has a current ag valuation, they can switch it if it's, there's a couple conditions, but they can switch it to a wildlife valuation. And so there are lots, especially smaller landowners are not interested in maintaining livestock. And, and so, uh, and, uh, you know, the opportunity, the thing that they enjoy about their property, especially smaller acreage is, is birds, is wildlife. And so that's what they um, move towards. So one of the ways, one of the, as part of that, they have to develop a wildlife management plan and so we help landowners do that. Uh, when you're talking about these special uh, valuation areas, um, what what is the acreage that's required for that? So different counties have different limits in what um, they can, what someone can do, have a wildlife valuation on. And it depends on the county, and they should check with their county. Uh, but typically there is an acreage limit, and lots of times in the hill country it's around 20 acres. So 20 acres or more, 
There are a lot of them. And again, those people that are interested, especially in doing uh, birds, uh, are between, you know, uh, 20 to 500 acres. So those are the people that we're kind of working with in that that frame. Uh, Most people enjoy seeing and hearing birds uh, in the yard or wherever. Uh, but there are particular reasons why birds are important to humans. Can you talk about what that is, what those different yeah, areas of yeah, importance and, are? And, and they are important in, in uh, you know, maintaining systems uh, such as uh, dispersing seed and, and uh uh, you know, and 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 being part of the system, the system that controls things like rodent populations and stuff like that, owls and raptors and stuff. Um, great horned owls are known for eating uh, skunks, and so they're that's they're they're whenever we come across them injured or whatever, they almost always smell like a skunk, and that's because really? it's a favorite food for them. And so um, the. So, so that's that's true, and so it's that's really kind of the person part of it. The ecology part of it is that they are really important in maintaining stability and the diversity, and they play a role in a in, in just a whole variety of of ways. One of the things that I think is really interesting: uh, years ago, uh, foresters used to remove all standing dead trees in their forest because they thought they harbored insects which were pests to their trees. Well, what they found out was when they did that, they had even more pest problems. So what, that, what the connection was, the birds that utilized the standing dead trees for uh, their habitat, for nesting, but also as food sites, attracted those birds that helped them do biological control in their forests. And now it's recognized that part of a healthy forest includes things mm-hmm. like that. So, uh, you know, they are very Im- important in, e- in an ecosystem function and stability. Right. And that has human use, but it also is important to the, the system itself. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and I'm here today with Rufus Stevens, who is a wildlife biologist with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. Um, and you have a new book out, which is a practical guide for landowners on how to manage different birds in their on their properties. Um, talk about that and, and why why the book came about. Yeah, so one of the reasons we mentioned a little earlier about wildlife tax valuation and, and part of working with private landowners on that, we realized that that landowners wanted, one was that we it was difficult for us to meet all those needs, and so we had to find a more efficient way to provide that. So workshop was part of it, um, but also that people didn't have a good understanding of how to put together a wildlife management plan, especially for something like birds. And so we began teaching workshops on how to create wildlife management plans for birds. And we realized there was a real need for a resource that brought together all the information that was out there to help people better manage their habitats. So it's really a habitat management book and, and specifically for managing habitats for birds. And um, birds are important because that's what people tend to see on their property and enjoy about their property, as we mentioned earlier. And so uh, it, it's, it's a great fit for... A, as a 
a guide for them managing their property. That was right. what really got us doing the book. Uh, it took us a long time. <laughs> it's a lot of information, um, uh, but we're really excited about it and think that uh, people are going to find it a great resource. And, and you have a co-author with this? It's Jan Reed. Uh, she also wrote Trees, Shrubs, and Vines for the Texas Hill Country and through A&M Press. And it was after she wrote that book that we got together and said, hey, we ought to write this, and went to the press, and they said, sure, we think that's a great idea. Uh, they didn't expect it to take as long as it did, but it, we, we, yeah. got it, we got it done, and we're really excited about it. So. so talk about what's in the book. The focus of the book is on habitats, and so each uh, of the main chapters is a basic habitat type, like grasslands or woodlands uh, or creeks and streams. And uh, in, those, in that chapter, then we have what we call focus birds that are mentioned in that chapter. And the chapter sort of revolves around those, those focus birds um, or priority birds. And we, at the end of the chapter, there are what we call bird summaries of each chapter, or bird summaries, which are information on those um, uh, birds and the basic needs that they have. What's their territory size? What do they eat? What do they, where do they live? Mm -hmm. You know, so what habitat needs to be there? So, uh, um, can you, can you give us like, like an example, take a bird that's maybe fairly common and talk about what, you know, what, what the book says about how you manage that bird? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll give you a couple. And so one would be a Buick's wren and, uh, it's pretty much exclusively a insect eater. And so one of the things that it does is most of its insects are picked up off the ground. So it has to have bare ground to pick up those insects off the ground. So how we manage a, the grassland portion of our habitat is important to that bird. Uh, the other thing is, is it nests in cavities in, in, uh, uh, in, in trees. And so standing dead trees or snags are an important part of their nesting. Now we can provide supplemental uh, housing by using nest boxes, but we also need to recognize that they use those standing dead trees and that that's an important part for landowners. So that, that provides a lot of, uh, of guidance in, for how a landowner, so it, it has to do with managing insects and making sure not to use pesticides because that's important to the food source for that bird. Another one might be painted bunnings, uh, mm -hmm. which are people love to yes. love painted bunnings, right? They're <laughs> just right. The, the, the showcase of a beautiful bird in the hill country. Uh, and one of the things with painted bunnings, they have in, in a lot of their range have declined over time. So they really need our assistance. Um, in the hill country, one of the things, they nest about three to six feet off the ground in fairly dense shrubby habitat. If we don't have that, then we're losing where they nest. The big impact on that in the hill country is overabundance of deer. So they tend to eat all that, oh. that, that sort of layer of habitat. So, um, so that layer of habitat can be really important. There's a way to sort of offset that by, by encouraging uh, uh, that lower level. And people kind of think a shrub, shrub is, okay, that's, that's to be removed. 
where it's really critical to this bird. And if, so if you love that bird, it's, a, it's an important bird to manage, a, a, an important segment of the habitat to manage for is that right. sort of shrub layer habitat. And then how about food sources for that? Yeah, and that, that bird uh, is, while insects are an important part of their diet, uh, grass seeds are very important, mm-hmm. things like switchgrass. Uh, and they typically don't eat seeds, so we don't see them at our feeder eating seeds right. so much. They are at our, usually we see them in our yards coming to the bird bath uh, for, for the water rather than any other type of source. So, you know, sub- Putting bird feed out doesn't really help these birds, but managing for those insects and and native grasses is important besides those, uh, from a food standpoint, those are important. I'm Salwa Khan. You're listening to Mothering Earth, and right now it's time for a break. We're back now. I'm Salwa Khan. I'm here with Rufus Stevens, and uh, we're talking about birds mainly. <laughs> Um, wanted to talk uh, a little bit about the loss of natural habitats for birds that occur when uh, homeowners uh, create their yards and maybe put in a big lawn or something like that. Talk about that and, and what, what homeowners can really do if they really want to attract birds, even if, it, if they don't have a lot of acreage. Right. So one of the things that does impact a lot of birds is the... Um, sprawl the expansion of 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 of, uh, of cities and the adding of of yards and basically most yards are very um more of a monoculture so they have very lack very they have very limited diversity and so there is a lot actually uh there is a program called the wildscapes program with texas parks and wildlife where you can wildscape your yard and uh, I did a lot, worked a lot with that program when I was an urban biologist. And uh, they, as an example, um, actually a vast majority of our birds are insect-eating birds. And there was a research that was done in San Antonio by a graduate student that um, looked at uh, traditional uh, landscapes and compared them with a development that was done as a wildscape. And so they left a lot of native plants in those in those uh, landscapes. They did not have broad areas of of grass uh, lawns, and uh, and then compared that to uh, a native habitat control, and they found that typically in the average you know yard with lots of grass and very little diversity that they mainly had only seed-eating birds and only a very few seed-eating birds and that the diversity was dramatically higher when you manage with native plants when you had a diversity of plants in that that yard and so not only was it more enjoyable as a uh, um, for the landowner because of the birds that it attract, but it was also more interesting, greater variety of flowering plants. Uh, and so that was really a research that showed how important it was and the impact that you could have by managing, you know, a less uh, uh, common uh, uh, yard to a more uh, native and wildscaped yard. And we do have a section in the book on backyards and we talk about that, but the Wildscapes program also has is has been around for a while, and ha, and there's a book on on wildscaping, 
that is a good resource as well and has excellent information how homeowners can make their their yards more bird friendly and that's for people with less acreage so yeah so you don't have to have 10 acres right and you could have it you can do a lot for birds even if you've just got a patio so it's just selecting the right you know uh, plants and feeders and you know you can attract hummingbirds to balconies and right. so there's there's lots of things that you can do even in very small spaces and does it matter now if uh, for example if I did if I wildscape my yard and everyone around me has the monoculture gardens going you know with lawns and such does it have an effect <laughs> yeah you can still have an effect but there yeah. is a problem with it being an island in a patch of 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 uh, mm-hmm. uniform landscapes so the more that if you're attached if you have a creek nearby that's more natural then you're going to have a lot more impact and be able to attract a lot more birds than if you're right in the middle of a traditional neighborhood and you're the kind of sole um, diverse piece that's out there but also, the more you have neighbors that will work with you, the larger the block is, the larger, the, the greater the number of birds and other wildlife that you can attract to your yards. And so right. that's an, it, something to encourage and work with your neighbors yeah. on, you know, improving your community. Now, there's also uh, benefits from a water quality standpoint by managing for native plants and reducing pesticide use and, and fertilizers that it's good for clean water, it's good for flood control, and so there's a lot of benefits to the wider community in managing our homes that way. Right, right. Um, uh, what, is, what is the scientific value of birds? You know, we, see, we talk, or hear about changes in bird populations and habitat and patterns of migration. How does that affect our environment, or does it? Um, well... You know, uh, it's it certainly does. Uh, you know, like we talked about earlier, that 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 birds are such an important role in a, really a variety of ecological processes. Whether that's rodent populations and managing rodent populations, or scavengers and and being able to take care of. It's amazing that that vultures can uh, have and eat all kinds of pathogens and eat things that have all these pathogens and be able to withstand that and process that. And so those pathogens are not out in the environment, so they're out there cleaning that up. So that's really uh, a a real benefit to us. It also, I mean, from a scientific standpoint, just that one is an example. There are potentials for understanding uh, uh, new ways to create antibiotics that may come out of understanding vultures and how they can uh, withstand all these pathogens. It may be more of a genetic thing that can be, that allows them to, to withstand all those pathogens. So there is definitely medical benefit from things like, like right. that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but as we mentioned, just, just ecological diversity and the stability of e- ecological systems which benefit us like we were just talking about from clean water and abundant water are really tied to birds as well and to the diversity of wildlife that are out there. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. I'm here with Rufus Stevens who is a wildlife biologist with Texas Parks and Wildlife. 
um, and we're talking about birds. I found this quote, which I'd like to share with you and ask you to talk about your reaction to it. Uh, Birds matter not least because amazing migrations remind us what an interconnected web we live in from pole to pole. And that's from Bill McKibben, uh, who's an environmental advocate. Yeah, it is just amazing, you know, um, how, you know, we have... For instance, the golden cheek warbler that nests only in the hill country and spends its winters in uh, central uh, 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 Mexico and Central America, and uh, that that you know that that sort of process, that system, that migration of moving back and forth, and you know how important this one patch of 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 our of Texas. I mean, these are all Texans. They're all raised in, in Texas and born in Texas, and then they spend their winters in Mexico. And uh, so, you know, those are those are amazing things. Uh, you know, there's other amazing migrations that occur, um, which are, I, I'm just always shocked at as far as how, how uh, you know, that how, how does a bird decide to do that? You know, how, yeah. how, 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 how does that happen? For instance, um, uh, uh, hummingbirds. Um, uh, it, they there are certain species of hummingbirds that that migrate by going transgulf. They go from Yucatan and fly all the way to Texas coast and arrive on the Texas coast after going 700 miles across open water. There's no plants out there, right, yeah. for them, yeah. and uh, they where other hummingbird species will follow a land you know approach so why does one decide to to run the gauntlet of flying all the way across the gulf uh where the other set takes a little more uh what seems like a more reasonable route uh and uh uh, so that's that's just you know why that is there are so many things with birds that we don't we still don't know now i understand that texas is a major bird watching destination um, can you talk about that and sort of what it does in terms of economics sure. for the state? Sure. So because of the, um, actually, the whole eastern flyway, birds migrate from, uh, you know, uh, all the eastern side of, of uh, east of the Rockies come through Texas. And so we're really kind of a funnel for them as they go south. So that means... We not only have all the birds from the east, or most of the birds. I won't say all of them. There's there's some that go more more far east uh, through through Florida, but uh, a lot of you know a majority of the birds will come through Texas. So that means that we really have a uh, can in one place you can see a whole bunch of these birds, and especially during migration. And just like we were talking about the hummingbirds coming across Trans Gulf, there are other birds, songbirds that do Trans Gulf. Uh, flights, and they often stop at the Texas coast, sort of refuel and prepare for, you know, migration further north. And when they do that, uh, there is a great opportunity for bird watching. And so the Texas coast is known for its its bird watching. So we have one of the highest diversity checklist diversity of birds in North America. Um, uh, because of this funneling of birds, and even though it may be seasonal. Uh, and so there's lots of communities along the 
Texas coast. It's a significant part of their tourist income is related around birders and birders buying, you know, doing hotels and getting sure. um, uh, meals and, and traveling along. One of the things that we have is what's called the Great Coastal Birding Trail. And so they go along uh, to the different stops along the Coastal Birding Trail. Many of those are in communities along the coast. But also in the valley, we tend to have a few birds that, that make it that far north. So uh, there are birds, chakalakas and and green jays and all kinds of neat birds that, that occur in South Texas or in deep South Texas that don't occur anywhere else in, in North America. And people come to see those those birds. So it's it's quite a birder's destination. And because of that, it's also very significant from an income standpoint for those communities. I don't know how much of a bird birder you are, but do you have any tips for I mean, just for the homeowner standpoint is thinking about a variety of things that you can provide. Be sure that you provide water. Water is a great, even in, especially in the winter, when it really, we have real good cold snaps, having a water source can really be a super attractor for birds in the wintertime. And at other times of year, it may be the only way that you're able to attract certain birds like we were talking about, painted bunnings. So that's kind of homeowner's tip. Rufus Stevens' book is Attracting Birds in the Texas Hill Country and is available at online merchants and in bookstores. Thanks for listening, and please send any comments or suggestions to me at gardentoad at vcs.com. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth. Mothering Earth.